I'm so excited about today's guest, Nicole Quinn, who is our only board member other than myself. We have not had a board meeting yet, but she's the partner at Lightspeed Ventures, who said yes, uh, who led our seed round and who has become a huge champion of Girlboss and someone I'm really excited to have here on Girlboss Radio. But first, I want to tell you about another one of our partners, who Lightspeed is actually also invested in, <laughs> Goop. Goop is a brand we all know for its great travel, food, beauty, style, work, and of course, wellness content. They deliver this via their newsletters, their weekly podcast. And last week, Gwyneth interviewed Oprah Winfrey for their first episode. I asked for an introduction. We'll see if it happens. Woo! And we know Goop has so many amazing products, like Goop by Juice Beauty, Goop Vitamins with names like I'm So Effing Tired, and a whole line of entirely natural fragrances, and of course a fashion label. But we're here today to talk about Goop Glow, which is their wellness product. It's a morning skin super powder. You drink it, it gives you nutrients, and it makes your skin glow. That's why it's called Goop Glow. It's packed with antioxidants, vitamin C, vitamins, and other good stuff, and it tastes good. So go online to goop.com slash girlboss to learn more about these and other Girlboss-approved Goop products. And if you're looking to take your morning ritual to the next level, the Goop by Juice Beauty Exfoliating Instant Facial does exactly what it sounds like it should. Basically eats all the dead stuff off your face so your skin glows even more. That's goop.com slash girlboss, G-O-O-P dot com slash girlboss. Success. It's such a complicated idea, and yet for so long we've all collectively subscribed to a single definition of the word, which was likely given to us by a white-haired dude somewhere in a boardroom in the 1960s. And there's nothing wrong with that definition, with the notion of climbing a corporate ladder with a singular focus. But it's time to make space for a few other definitions, for side hustles and well-being and failing forward, and for the idea that success is a wild ride, not the destination at the end of it. Join me for a journey into the lives of women who are redefining success and paving the way for others with grit and grace. I'm Sophia Amoruso, the founder and CEO of Girlboss Media, and this is Girlboss Radio. Nicole Quinn has helped countless entrepreneurs turn their dreams into reality. I loved working with early stage companies, founders that were really passionate about what they were doing. And at the end of the day, these people were creating jobs, creating growth. And I wanted to be there to help them. As a partner at Lightspeed, Nicole focuses on funding early stage consumer tech companies. During her time at Lightspeed, she's invested in companies such as Zola, the largest online wedding registry, Dote, the virtual mall, and... Girl boss. Clearly, she's incredibly smart. And at the end of the day, women are the people who are driving popular culture. I mean, the majority of the companies I've invested in have female founders. So let's uh, make that continue. Today, we'll talk to Nicole about the qualities of a successful entrepreneur, the art of the perfect pitch. My biggest piece of advice is take risks. Think big. And this is my really candid advice to um, women founders. I typically find that women founders will come in and pitch and will be conservative in their projections of what the business can do. And 
this is something I would love to see change. And all about what's coming up next in consumer tech and where you guys should be starting businesses. But first, from the Girl Boss A team, Maggie Renshaw. Hello. What's up, Maggie? What's up? What's going on at Girl Boss this oh, week? Oh, boy. Well, continuing with our month of female celebration and collaboration. It's Women's History Month. It's Women's History yeah. Month. And we're doing a really cool segment feature called Hidden Her Stories. Mm -hmm. This series is about women that contributed to history who you probably didn't hear about in history class or in those textbooks. Um, so who? Like when, what are their names? Like so two of the gals that are being featured this week, one's uh, Toy Perina. She was a Native American war hero um, and she was best known or most well known for her revolt against the Spanish missionaries. You know I love a woman it... who leads a revolt. Right? <laughs> mm -hmm. In good company. And then the other one that we featured this week, her name is Lucy Hicks Anderson. She was biologically male, but grew up wearing dresses and identifying as a woman. Um, her mother took her to the doctor, who actually advised them to bring her up as a girl. She was married twice. Wait, when was this? Cause this if was this... in 1945. Yeah, if it's 2000. 18, it's not as impressive. 1945? Right. Yeah. Wow. Before the term trans even existed. So she didn't really know what she was. She would just she just considered herself a woman. She grew up in L.A. in Ventura, discovered, and Ventura County discovered that she was biologically a male and tried her for perjury. Wow. The jury convicted her and gave her 10 years of probation. And then later in life, she was also convicted of fraud which landed her in jail. Wow. And also she was the first black trans pioneer. Wow. Yeah. And then there's someone who, a woman who did video games in the 70s? Yeah. Who? Her name is Donna Bailey. She was the one of the first women to design arcade games. One of the first women, cool. she uh, created the 70s game Centipede. Ooh. I know. <laughs> and she worked for Atari. So That's pretty cool. She's pretty badass for working in a still to this day considered a male-dominated field. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We just had a podcast on that last week. Oh, yeah. Tina. Well, thanks, Maggie. We'll, you'll be back next week? I will. Cool. Now, Nicole Quinn, partner at Lightspeed Ventures and weaver of entrepreneurial dreams. I'm originally from London, although I have a very confusing accent because I was born in London. My father is from Sydney, and now I've been in the U.S. for seven years. Okay, wow. Yeah, I didn't realize, because you were talking about Australia last night, and it sounded like you had an affinity for it, but I wasn't sure why, because I was pretty sure you had an English accent. <laughs> yeah, but I have a lot of family still there. In fact, my grandmother unfortunately passed away last week but we're celebrating her life because she got to 100 years old wow so strong australian Those genes are some good genes yeah <laughs> hopefully and a lot of like probably ability to hold your alcohol <laughs> between the two <laughs> that is the australian and yeah. english stereotype yeah <laughs> so did you spend your childhood in london yeah i did okay went to school there my father was uh, an entrepreneur, so I ended up, yes, going to school, but his business was all ups and downs. And when there were downs and he couldn't afford people to work for him, I ended up working for him at the age of about 10. Wow. So, What was your uh, first was job? Uh, I actually worked on a cash register even though the cash register was taller than I was at the time. So people had to peer over the cash register yeah. to see me uh, when he had a chain of physical pharmacies, which then he turned into online pharmacies in the wow. 1990s. Um, so that was my first job when I was 10. Wow. 
So online kind of runs in the family. I mean, it, 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 you, your family was like early internet people. I feel like that's kind of rare. That's true, but it was too early. It, yeah, uh, <laughs> didn't work. <laughs> Seems like it worked in the 1990s, and then soon, soon uh, did not work in the year 2000. Yeah. So, what were some of your other early jobs? Oh my gosh, Sophia! I literally did everything. I think uh, I was a hustler when I was younger, exactly yeah. like yourself. I would have like three jobs a year because I would have like a job that I would do after work, and then I would have a job that I did in the Easter holidays, a job that I would do in the summer holidays, and so it was like every restaurant in the small little town that I lived in, I had worked in at one point. Every shop, um, and. Ascot horse races in England. I would uh, do silver service waitressing there. I loved it because I was like, wow, you get really good tips here. I'm going to start working here more often. To be in venture capital, you have to be deeply analytic. Nicole has to know every aspect of the business she invests in. It takes a lot of focus and determination to research and analyze before investing. I asked Nicole to talk to us about her studies and how they prepared her for this fascinating career. Yeah, I did go to uh, university. I uh, read maths, or maths as we say in England. (laughs) Loved it. Did economics and math at uh, York and then uh, actually did my business degree out here at Stanford and hence fell in love with California. Wow, Stanford. That's a dream. Um, I tried to audit a class there and then I was like, "Uh, I don't live here. This is really hard. Um, But it's like such a beautiful campus. Nicole went on to spend eight years at Morgan Stanley, where she worked on the IPOs of Facebook, Groupon, and Pandora. No big deal, right? I asked her to tell us about her experience there. Was Morgan Stanley your first job out of college? How long were you there? I joined when I was 20 years old. We do a three-year degree in England rather than a four-year degree here. And I was there for nearly a decade. Like eight, nine years I was there. And you worked on taking companies public? Yeah, I moved around. So I did one year investment banking um, and realized I was working 18 hours a day in a role I was not passionate about. And so moved then into equity research and sales specifically for consumer companies, uh, which was interesting because it was uh, in sort of 2006 times, it was all brick and mortar. And then um, CPG companies, hence my sort of passion in the space right now. And then um, when e-commerce became a category, in sort of 2008 with ASOS, Net-A-Porter, Ukes. Um, Nasty gal. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was exciting to be able to cover, you know, some of the public comps like ASOS during yeah. that time. Yeah. Um, and then eventually moved over to New York. Always just wanted to live in America. So I just kept saying to my boss, when can I move to America? When can I move to America? And um, so I moved over there, which was exciting times because Morgan Stanley did the, we did the Facebook and Groupon IPO then, and I loved it. But I've been doing angel investing on the side, and I realized that's what I was much more passionate about. Yeah. For the listeners that don't know, what is investment banking? Ah, yes. Okay, so I worked in the mergers and acquisitions team in investment banking. And so this is um, for public companies that are uh, listed on the stock exchange and private companies um, that want to either merge with one another or acquire a smaller company. And these are companies with billions of dollars as their sort of enterprise value. And they need a bank to be able to essentially do these large transactions uh, for them. And so that's when the um, banks will sort of step in and uh, help them through those transactions. Yeah, cool. 
And then the equity side, like specifically, what is like working on the equity side? What does that mean at some place like a Morgan Stanley? Yeah, so there's lots of different roles on the equity side. You essentially have equity and then you have fixed income, meaning the debt side of things. So I never have worked uh, in debt, always equities. So equity research is the person that meets the company a couple of years before their IPO and then writes the research reports at the IPO and then continues to write research reports on an ongoing basis about the company. And they'll have a recommendation. So you'll say, um, every bank has it differently, but we had buy, hold or sell recommendation on the stock. And then we'll have these bull, base and bear case scenarios. And so uh, one of my companies that I loved was Inditex, uh, which owns eight concepts. The largest one is Zara, uh, which I'm sure many of you have uh, shopped at. It's so great. And uh, I had a buy on that stock for, um, I mean, seven years. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that essentially means that you think the stock can go up dramatically from where it is currently. And you tell hedge fund and long only, say, pension funds to buy the stock for those reasons. Nicole has a really great perspective on startup culture, having worked for one called Nutmeg, a London-based tech company that she helped complete funding. So I knew that I loved angel investing. I knew that I loved working with early stage companies, founders that were really passionate about what they were doing. And at the end of the day, these people were creating jobs, creating growth. And I wanted to be there to help them um, as an investor. Um, And someone said to me, a good friend, he... uh, Nick, he actually went to uh, Stanford Business School as well. Then he went on to start Nutmeg. He said, the best way to be an investor is to get some experience on the other side of the table as an entrepreneur or a founder or working in a stage company. As they say on the operations side. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly what Sophia is doing right now. And so I wanted to experience that operating side. So I joined Nutmeg, which was in the fintech space. It's an online private wealth management company. The equivalents here in the US are Wealthfront and Betterment, but they were based in Europe, in London, and worked there helping them on their fundraising, uh, on the marketing and strategy side of things. Um, Really enjoyed it, and it just confirmed to me that I definitely wanted to do investing. I then went on to start my own little uh, small company, uh, which I pitched to Lightspeed, and that's how I then ended up at Lightspeed. Wow. What was the, your pitch? <laughs> it was a wearable tech company. Uh, and I've been working on it uh, for a few months and realized that I needed to raise some money. And I met one of our partners when he uh, was doing a talk and ran up to him afterwards. was like, this is my company. Can I tell you about it? Let's book in a meeting. And so then uh, went to Lightspeed and talk to them about the company. And they said, have you ever considered venture capital? Your background's really interesting because you've been on the kind of more the larger side of equity, like different scale, like later, much later stage, but similar mechanics in some ways. Right. I mean, you know more than I do, but I'm guessing you are absolutely right. And it's interesting because, um, as you know, we recently invested in Goop. And um, for that one, it was... um, you know, they're doing so well. They've been around for 10 years. So it's a slightly later stage um, company. I know it started in uh, Gwyneth's kitchen back in the day in London. But so when we invest in later stage companies, it's great because I have that experience from 
working, as you said, Morgan Stanley, one of those big public companies and thinking about what it takes for them to be household brand names, what it takes for them to maybe list on a stock exchange and be a public company one day, um, what those investors are looking for too. Yeah, that's so interesting. I'm going to want to know that at some point. So you're an investor, but you're also a woman and there's not a lot of women in venture capital, as we know. And I'm just so curious, have there been champions for you, men, women along the way? And what's it like being one of so few women in venture capital? It's interesting because people always think, if you're a woman in venture capital, do you have a, a role model who is also a woman? But my role model is Jeremy Liu, who you know at Lightspeed. And he's also a role model on this topic specifically as well, because when we go to uh, female-focused uh, conferences, there'll be you know 350 women in the room and four men. But Jeremy mm. will be one of those four men. Well, he believes in investing in popular culture. And at the end of the day, women are the people who are driving popular culture. Mm-hmm. And so when he put the first money on Snapchat back in the day, it was because he could see that the engagement of this product amongst young women that then everybody wants to copy um, was extremely strong. And they had you know, three quarters of their consumer base as young women. And they were just engaging and loving the product. And so as a result, he thinks, you know, believes that authenticity is it is key. And so you often get these really strong female founders, like yourself, Sophia, who are starting these awesome businesses with women as your customer. And so it's something that we, you know, not just talk about and not just go to conferences, but a third of the companies that Jeremy's invested in are... Um, have female CEOs and founders. So The Honest Company, now Girlboss, mm-hmm. um, Style Seat, Task Rabbit. Um, here the list goes on. Oh, I didn't know that about Task Rabbit. Yes, oh. female founder, and then um, they brought in a CEO later, also a really strong woman, Stacey. So that's something that we believe at Lightspeed, and I personally do. I mean, the majority mm-hmm. of the companies I've invested in have female founders. Yeah. So let's uh, make that continue. Tell me some of the companies that Lightspeed has invested in, because it's pretty impressive. Lightspeed, I believe, were in 25% of all technology IPOs last year wow. in the States. So uh, last year we had IPOs for Nutanix. Uh, we had the acquisition for uh, AppDynamics. We had the IPO for MuleSoft. And on the consumer side... Snapchat, Stitch Fix. It was a really exciting year. Bonobos, right? So, yeah, we had the acquisition of Bonobos by Walmart. Yeah. Definitely a lot of uh, M&A and IPOs last year. And my partners have done an incredible job in investing in those great companies. In addition to that, we invested in Nest um, back in the day. The Honest Company. Some of my companies uh, are Girlboss, Goop. Zola, the wedding registry business, Daily Harvest, um, which is a frozen food business on subscription. They've actually advertised on the podcast. I've read ads about nice cream, which sounds really good. It's so good. Really? Yeah. I think we actually have some in the freezer. I just need to pull it out. You do. I actually checked your freezer. You do (laughs) have it in there. You've already checked the freezer since you've been here? (laughs) I have to for Daily Harvest. (laughs) And um, as someone who can't eat dairy, I love their ice cream so much. It's amazing. We'll be back with more of Nicole Quinn in a minute. But first, if you're inspired by this episode and planning to get out there and ask people to invest in your big idea, you probably want to look the part. 
enter Stitch Fix. Many of us just suck at shopping. A lot of us don't want to leave our houses anymore. We're used to watching the, our movies at home and getting our food delivered to us if you live in, I mean, not everybody is able to do that. Millennials have pioneered the sharing economy and Stitch Fix is really at the forefront of that from an apparel perspective. If you go to stitchfix.com, you'll be prompted to fill out a style profile online and they'll send clothes, shoes, and accessories picked just for you in your size for your lifestyle, for your budget, and of course, things that you're gonna like. Every box contains five items you can try at home, and then you only pay for what you keep. So get started now at stitchfix.com slash girlboss, and you'll also get 25% off when you keep all five, item, all five items in your box. That's S-T-I-T-C-H-F-I-X.com slash girlboss to try Stitch Fix today. Stitchfix.com slash girlboss. And if you're building your online business, you need to be smart about spending and shipping. That's why we always tell you about ShipStation, mm -hmm. our longest standing supporter of Girlboss Radio at this point. And someone who renews their ad reads on Girlboss Radio, honestly, because our audience is going to ShipStation, actually finding it useful and staying a member of their platform. Like that's how these things work. So we know that ShipStation works for our audience. If you're shipping anything online, if you sell anything online, ShipStation is the platform for you. So ShipStation pulls in all of your orders from any number of platforms, Squarespace, we're using it with Squarespace, mm -hmm. Etsy, BigCommerce, WooCommerce, Shopify, and over 75 other popular selling channels. And you can print labels from UPS, FedEx. It's so easy. They're very mobile friendly. And right now you can try ShipStation free for 30 days and get an additional month free only if you use our promo code GIRLBOSS. Don't wait. Go to ShipStation.com. And before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in GIRLBOSS. That's S-H-I-P-S-T-A-T-I-O-N.com. Enter GIRLBOSS. ShipStation. Make, Make ship, ship happen. happen.